go over to my guest standing by. She is she was on once before, and a lot of people really appreciate what she had to say. She is Maud Barlow. She is the national chairperson for the Council of Canadians, an advocacy organization focusing on environmental issues. She is co-founder of the Blue Planet Project, which is an international project to challenge corporates taking private control of freshwater resources. Nice to have you back with us today. Delighted to be back. And I also just wanted to say that I chair the board of Food and Water Watch, which is a great um, American organization, Washington-based, and anybody wants information, they can go to foodandwaterwatch.org for more of an American uh, view uh, or of the water crisis and, and our answers. Good. Maude, I recently saw a um, an article in an international publication dealing with the World Bank as well as the International Monetary Fund, wanting to do more to privatize water resources. And I, I thought, my goodness, the world, the average person never knows what the World Bank or International Monetary Fund are doing, but here is a major organization with un, virtually unlimited resources and enormous political control when it goes into a country, now once again getting corporations to go into countries and to take over the water systems and never once in these countries do they improve it, uh, do they make it better. Instead, they frequently don't service it, take the profits, and turn off your water, which could be your life source of water, if you can't pay the bills. So I'd like you to first state some statistics. I, I saw the latest that this was a Canadian study showed the world could warm another 10 degrees in the next 90 years. Also, half of our tropical forests are gone, yeah. and at the current rate, uh, 10%, only 10% remain in the next 20 years, and 90% of our large ocean fish have disappeared, and half the world's wetlands have destroyed. Every day, 2 million tons of sewage and industrial waste is discharged into the water, and yet uh, there is six times more waste water produced annually than the water in the world's rivers, with 80% of the rivers in peril. So if people don't think that the water issue is important, I'd like for you to show them why it is, why we should not be privatizing these waters, and instead what we should be aware of. The forum is yours. Well, thank you very much, and lovely to be on the program with you. Um, just to say that the world really is running out of fresh water. It's something we all learned back in grade six wasn't possible because there's this finite amount of water going around the hydrologic cycle, and it can't go anywhere is what we all learned. But in fact, as we our demand for water grows, and the way we grow food, the way we pump huge amounts of water into big cities and then they dump it into the ocean and it doesn't get returned to the land, or we grow food in deserts when we destroy water tables, we're pumping up groundwater so fast. <clears throat> Brand new global study said that if the groundwater pumping around the Great Lakes is equivalent or about the same amount um, uh, as the groundwater pumping around the world, the Great Lakes will be bone dry in 80 years. I mean, we are literally taking the world's water stock and either polluting it or putting it where we can't get at it. So we have a really serious question here about what to do and a question very much, of course, about who makes decisions around access. So you've got on one side those who put it on the open market for sale, who want to control the public the service and on a for-profit basis, sell it as a market commodity, let you know, let it go out there, and and so what if lots of people die? That you know, it, it, it will be a commodity. 
like uh, running shoes or Coca-Cola. On the other are those of us who say very strongly that water is a part of our collective heritage. You can't live without it. We have no substitute for it, and we have to protect it as a public um, uh, project, a public service, but also a public trust. Um, and we have to protect source water and ecosystems. We, we simply cannot continue to destroy water at the rate that we're destroying it. You know, it's important for your listeners to know that when recent studies are talking about where which parts of the planet are in trouble, water-wise, one of the areas is the United States. It's the southwest and the west and even the southeast now are considered among the most serious, the areas most seriously at risk in the entire world, along with Australia, the Mediterranean, the Middle East, um, northern China, and India. These are the areas that are, are most at risk. So we have to take collective care, and the only way to do this is if we protect our source water better, nature put water where it belongs, basically. We've got to stop playing God and moving it all over the place. We have to stop polluting it, um, and we have to really make sure that there's equitable access. When a private company comes in and takes over water in whatever form, it, it's going to do what every private corporation does. It's going to, it's going to benefit by scarcity. It's going to benefit by dirty water because then they either get to clean it up or sell the clean stuff to you more, you know, at a, at a higher rate. They've got to make a buck. Even if the people running the corporation are good people, the corporation has to make money based on these notions of, you know, uh, competition and scarcity. That may be one thing if you're talking about something you can you can recreate, uh, something you can, you know, like shoes or whatever. But it is not okay when it's something you cannot recreate. Create. So we are we are saying strongly that we need to invest in infrastructure. At Food and Water Watch, we're calling for a, an, an infrastructure fund, a freshwater fund that would be there so that municipalities wouldn't have to privatize, um, and that we keep the rates at a reasonable level so that nobody is going to be denied um, water. You should know, um, your listeners may say, well, this is all you know relevant for the global south and so on but in detroit city uh, just as one example there are 72,000 people without water access now because they couldn't afford to pay their bills and now this city's coming in and taking away their children because they can't provide them with clean water and therefore they're you know they're living in substandard situations so it's not just something far far away as water becomes more scarce as the prices go up and as it becomes privatized it is going to become the purview of the rich, um, as is the kind of good food that water can can provide, um, and there'll be substandard food for others. This is a very, very big issue that I don't think most people know much about, haven't thought about it, um, think somebody somebody will figure it out or some technology will come along, and in fact, that's not the case. We need to demand of our politicians and our leaders that they start taking this issue seriously. I appreciate those insights. Tell us what you see as the most likely scenario if we do not heed your advice in Europe, in the United States, and some of these other countries. Well, right now, <clears throat> around, <clears throat> excuse me, around the world, water is the biggest kill <clears throat> dirty water is the biggest killer of, of children. Larger than dirty water kills more children than HIV, AIDS, war, and accidents put together. It is the number one killer of actually of people generally in the global south. Every three and a half seconds, a child dies of waterborne disease in in poor countries. Now, in the wealthier countries, we've managed to put this off quite a bit. 
because even if we don't have water, we have money. So you have money to clean it or whatever, or to import the things that water is in. And it's something called your water footprint. It's all the water that you use for your goods and services. So if you import that in the form of food or wheat or flowers or whatever, stuff you don't want to use your own water for, in effect, you're able to buy yourself a little time out of this water shortage. But it's not going to last this is the most important thing for your listeners to know, that we are draining down the water's current supplies, the world's current supplies of water. And a brand-new study of some of the big corporations <clears throat> excuse me, who deal in, in massive amounts of water say that in 20 years, the amount, the demand for water in the world will outstrip supply by 40%. It's an incredible new statistic, and I have never seen one as um, alarming as this one, and it was done by, you know, not by some lefty organization. It was done by the big um, water uh, companies and the Coca-Cola and these kind of companies. So we do have a crisis upon us, and we're going to have to be really understanding that even if in wealthier uh, places like North America and Europe, water will someday be so expensive that only the wealthy will be able to buy it. That's why we oppose bottled water. We want to keep the water coming out of our taps safe, clean, and affordable. And right now in, in municipalities in North America, it is. Um, but, you know, if we don't continue to put money into and support the infrastructure that we need uh, for clean water, you're going to get to a point where clean water will be the purview of the wealthy. And you know, you're already seeing that in huge parts of the world. It's going to come to a community near you. I'm concerned that the right and much of the corporate uh, polluters and the very wealthy elite, like the Koch brothers, but not limited to the Koch brothers, you have the Schaeff Foundation people, are funding a disinformation campaign on global warming that the American public, when you talk about environmental issues, seems to only be able to grasp one issue at a time. I know. And already there's an enormous effort to discredit the legitimacy of global warming. I agree. But then when you start talking about acid rain mm -hmm. and pesticide runoff and mm -hmm. hog farmers North Carolina mm -hmm. uh, or fish farming in the Atlantic, mm -hmm. they just can't wrap their mind around how a plastic in the Pacific. I know. Uh, they, we have at least 161 separate environmental issues, and not one of these are being discussed in any reasonable way by the mainstream media or made important by any members of Congress. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts, please. Well, I deeply agree with you, and I'm very, very worried. I, I think that, you know, while I know climate change is terribly important, I feel that it's the only issue being discussed as if the others don't matter. And, in fact, the way we are destroying water and removing it from watersheds is very much a part of the crisis itself that you remove water from watersheds and that creates deserts and that creates global warming. So the treatment of water, the, the destruction of water is actually part of the story of climate change. We are going to have to change the way we relate to nature. Everything we have, everything we eat, everything we wear, all the electronics, our cars, our lifestyle, everything comes from nature. And we have a, a, we've thought of nature and water, but in all kinds of nature, as being a service to us. It's a resource for human comfort and profit. And if we don't turn our heads around and say, no, it's actually what gives us life, and it won't give us life anymore, you know, if we don't stop acting like this. I just saw an interview with a 
former environment minister in Great Britain, not a left winger, particularly a kind of a, you know, a in the middle of the road kind of guy, who said he doesn't think humans will be on the earth past another two or three hundred years. He said the way we're going, the earth will protect itself from us. We'll be the virus that it turns on, because we just simply don't know how to live here properly or with other other beings. When we just think that there's no end to our right to these resources, we have to understand they are finite. We're running out. We're running out of big fish in the sea. We're running out of energy. We're running, you know, the conventional sources of energy. We're running out of clean water. We're running out of old-growth forests. There will come a time when we cannot continue this. And a lot of the answer is going to be around back to local food production, local uh, industrial production, this kind of more um, taking care of your neighbors kind of thing that we've had in the past, these transition towns and so on, which is one of the reasons I continue to fight these big free trade agreements, because they continue to push us on the path of growth and globalization and more stuff and the globalization of our of our clothing and every other. Do you know, i just give you an interesting stat. In 19... 19- 65, 95% of all the clothing bought and worn in the United States was made in the United States. Now it's only 5%. Only 5% of the clothes Americans wear and buy is, are, is made in the United States. And that's how fast the globalization of our economy happened. But it's happened at a price. It's happened at the price of North American workers, obviously. I mean, we know that story, but it's also happened at a price for the earth. We can't continue to just keep chipping away at this stuff and think it'll renew. We have to be more respectful of this beautiful earth that gives us life. And uh, it would be good to see humans a little humbled. I think that would be the way I would, I would end the thought here. It's called a smackdown, and it's going to happen. Yeah, it is. It is going to happen. It and let is. me let me give you my thought on this for for our final discussion points. You and many other people in the progressive movement looking for positive solutions that would help all people, even those people who are indifferent or angry at you of trying to help them, must also balance that with the reality of economic growth in India, China, Brazil, and the Bricknet in Russia. Here is the problem that must be addressed and right now cannot be. And this is where there must be almost an inevitable catastrophe before they finally are forced to make the right choices. China and India, in particular in Brazil, are growing at anywhere from a 6 to 11% per year. These are highly dense populations. Uh, between China and India, you're dealing with about 1.3 billion people per country, give or take 100 million. The majority are dirt poor, and therefore they're not a part of the political and economic uh, discussion. However, with an educated group and a, and a uh, mobile working group of about 300 to 400 million people in both countries, when these people begin to succeed around industries more often than not that are state-supported or subsidized, especially in the case of China, where its currency is undervalued, so it can make products cheaply with exploited labor and then export them cheaply to countries that at one time made those products, including clothes made in the United States. I used to go down and help the International uh, Ladies' Garment Worker Union with their health issues. In fact, I was their official nutritionist and got them all on diets, and, and they were making living wages. They weren't rich, but at least they took home enough with health benefits 
and, and to, to have a living. To have a living. Yeah. Now those jobs now have been outsourced because of corporate and and political uh, elites working together to see that the unions were busted. Those jobs went to China or India or Haiti or elsewhere, and now Walmart is selling that same item minus the American labor, and the person who used to make the product now goes down to buy the product, which is one of the reasons I want to see Walmart boycotted. I want to see a boy. I want everyone to take their money out of all large banks. I want them to sell their stock. I don't want them involved in the Wall Street game at all. I want them to uh, stop supporting multinational brands completely. I want them to buy only locally organic produce. I want them to buy locally made things from artists and crafts. And, uh, and and stop buying what you don't need. If you don't yeah. actually need something, give it away. Um, uh, use it yourself. Yeah. Uh, but don't don't clutter with what you don't need. That's this whole idea, we gotta keep growing, keep growing. And I'm saying, yeah. no, you're keeping growing is the wrong because China has run out of resources. I know. So China now goes to Brazil, or no, not Brazil in this case. It did go to Brazil, but it also went to uh, Peru. And Peru has one of the rarest mahogany forest and it mm-hmm. buys it japan was already there buying it but now china mm-hmm. says we'll pay more i know and so now the entire forest in the next 10 years will be gone yeah. forever I but know. that was a major watershed it trapped yeah. carbon it gave off it yeah. gave off uh, gave off moisture which then created vapor that allowed seed uh, clouding and allowed rainfall that's gone yeah. Yeah. now you have copper and tin yeah. And cobalt and, and minerals that the Chinese need to make computers. I know. They're, they're going into Russia to harvest their great forests. They're, they're go- buying up huge amounts of land in Africa, um, and, the Chinese and, and the Indians, and the hedge funds are buying up huge. They bought up a tract of land twice the size of the United Kingdom just to have the land and the water for when they need it in future times. And also to speculate on it because yeah. they're frequently borrowing money at zero interest. Yeah. And they can park that investment elsewhere. Yeah. So anyhow, what I'm looking at is I'm looking at the reality that China yeah. and India and these other countries are not run as one mindset. They're controlled yeah. by their own mini oligarchs who see yeah. their own potential to make a profit. Yeah. And and so I'm saying, how do we deal with the people who are rich and powerful by exploiting natural resources and their association with easy capital, low interest capital, and government support in these countries against the resources that are finite, whether water, whatever it would, whatever it may be, yeah. until the day comes a reckoning where those people who want their hot dogs, hamburgers, hams, chicken in China, in India, they want their cheeseburgers, they want their uh, yeah. their their French fries. A, they got diabetes. B, they have heart disease. C, they have cancer. Now they have no environment. Their soil is gone. They've tapped out their own water. They have no force. There's desertification in India and China and Brazil. Yeah. And now none of this is being dealt with by the major media because we we have to beg them to give us money to pay for our credit card bills and our military adventures around the world. The final thoughts are yours. Take your time. <laughs> well, I have an easy solution. No, I don't. I'm joking. <laughs> you have laid out the problem brilliantly. And, of course, this is what we're dealing with is, is this reality. I, I guess I have to have faith, okay, that, that there are people – like you, like me, who like your listeners, who care, 
and not just in here in our countries, but around the world, that people on the ground see what's happening. I know there's a huge resistance in India, for instance, to the whole creation of these free trade zones where farmers and peasants are thrown off the land and they come in and they and the Walmarts and these guys set up shop. There is a huge movement against that, a fierce movement. People have been killed. People have put them, their lives on the line. People have put their lives on the line against the big bottling companies in India. You don't hear about it as much in China because it's so, the media is so controlled, but there are thousands of demonstrations, labor, human rights, dem- environmental demonstrations every year in, in China. There's much more unrest than people know about. I have to have faith that what I see, others see, which is that we were given this gorgeous gift of this earth and we have to take care of it. And if we don't, well, then it will be left to some other species to try to you know, make something up. I mean, we if we foul our own, if we continue to foul our own nest in the way that we're doing, you know, the the earth will kick us off the island, kind of thing. So I, I have to have some faith, otherwise I wouldn't be able to do this work. And the, the, so the faith I have is the work. I just um, have had a meeting. We're uh, planning to have a whole project to have the Great Lakes declared a, a commons and a public trust and a, a, a protected bioregion. Uh, I was there at the United Nations in in um, the summer when when the right water fundamental right to water and sanitation was adopted by the General Assembly. We just saved a great big lake in in Alberta, uh, sorry, in British Columbia, a great big uh, lake that was destined to be destroyed by a big mining company. So I have to go by these these smaller victories um, and hope that there are these will become exponentially important and grow around the world because we have to have hope. Hope, I believe. And you said final words. My final words are that hope is a moral imperative, and we have to just live every day these these values that we have, and and hope that others are living them too. I believe that your hope is well founded because I believe that with over forty four percent of all voters now considering themselves independents, who at one time had been closely aligned with either the Republican or Democratic. Uh, uh, mindset, and they're seeing that that has failed them, that has not provided the answers to the world, to health, to humanity, to a peace, uh, that they are now looking for other solutions. And now with a coalition of Greens and constitutionalists and environmentalists coming together, I believe that in not the immediate future, but I see about four or six years from now, that what the Tea Party did this last time to support the Republicans there will be an independent movement that will support a third party uh, that will get dynamic change and have environmental correction and transformation as its number one agenda. Thank you very much, Maud Barlow. My pleasure. Love to you and all your listeners. Maud Barlow, and she is with the um, very important group, uh, the Blue Planet Project.com. I'm Gary Knoll. Thank you all for listening.